We're in the church year today is it's kind of like a hinge that a hinge Sunday. It connects two seasons of the church year. Today marks the end of the season of Epiphany, which began, you may remember, back in January when we celebrated the baptism of our Lord. And it ends today at Transfiguration. And next week begins the season of Lent. And by the way, both, both Jesus' baptism and the transfiguration included important words by the voice of God. When Jesus was baptized, Mark tells us that a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. In today's passage, in the ninth chapter of Mark, we'll read that a cloud overshadowed them and, and from the cloud came a voice, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. So the first voice addressed Jesus and the next voice addressed those disciples and all of us who heard about that event. A reading from Mark, it starts off with a phrase, six days later. Well, if you're like me, when you hear or read, for example, that North Carolina has the second highest something, you want to know, so who's first, right? And if you're like me, when you hear six days later, you want to say, six days later than what? So here's what happened six days before our passage. In the eighth chapter of Mark, we read that Jesus and his disciples, they were on the way to Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Then he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered it, you are the Messiah. Then Jesus began to teach him about how he was going to have to undergo great suffering, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And good old Simon Peter, you count on him to say something, right? He says, now Lord, don't you go talking like that. And that's when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, and tells the disciples and the crowd around them that the high cost of discipleship. If any, if any want to become my followers, Jesus said, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So now, listen for God's word for us today from the ninth chapter of Mark. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking to Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud... There came a voice, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. 
O Lord, may my words and may our thoughts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When Paul and Sarah were small children, their homework would often be to write a story, a story that used particular words or concepts. So early on, that task could be a, that task could be a challenge, and I, I would try to break it down into basics. I told them that in a story, something happens. A problem or a mystery is solved, a relationship is formed, or fails. Well, actually, I said something like, boy meets girl, they don't like each other, then they do, then they get married, and then they have adorable children, the end. <laughs> like a lot of movies. I heard about a preacher who read this same story that we read from Mark, and then went down to the front pew to talk about transfiguration with the, that church's first graders. He said, I wonder if you can help us understand the story about Jesus and his friends. Well, the children had been, they'd been well coached and trained, and, and so they had no difficulty answering his prompts. Where did Jesus and his friends go? And they all said, to a mountain. <laughs> Who was standing next to Jesus? Moses. Anyone else? Elijah. And then, turning to the rest of the congregation, the pastor began to sum things up. The disciples were obviously astonished to see Christ in glory standing next to Moses and Elijah. They could not have understood that they were witnessing a preview of the resurrection. And that's when a little girl on the front row raised her hand and asked a question. Well, the preacher assured she was going to ask something about transfiguration or one of these things, but that's not what she said. What she asked was, what does obviously mean? <laughs> well, I tell this story because there's nothing, there's nothing obvious about this remarkable story of the transfiguration. Read it closely and you will find that Jesus expresses no emotion. He takes no action. And at least while they're up on the mountaintop, speaks not a single word. And yet, something happened. Well, the other story concept that I taught the children was that stories have, stories have three basic parts, beginning, middle, and ending. So at the beginning of the story, Jesus and three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, they go up on a mountain. Well, you know, if you read Mark, you know that back in the fifth chapter, when Jesus raised the 12-year-old daughter of a leader of the synagogue and called out Tabitha, those same three, they were the only ones that he let go with him. And then later on in Mark, in the 14th chapter, you can read that those same three, Peter, James, and John, they were the inner circle of the disciples. They're the, only, they're the ones that went with Jesus to the Gethsemane to pray and could not stay awake. Well, and that's the beginning. In the middle of the story, four things happen. First, up there on the mountain, something mysterious happened. Jesus' appearance, Jesus didn't change, but his appearance was transformed so that his clothes became dazzling white. And appeared with him there Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. 
The second thing that happened up there was that impulsive, can't wait, can't hold my tongue, Peter, interrupts them. Excuse me, you know. He interrupts Moses and Elijah who are talking with Jesus so he can propose a project. Ooh, I got an idea. Peter said, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make those three dwellings. One for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you. Now, by my count, Peter had made four mistakes there. First, he did not know when to be still, when to be quiet, and when to savor a precious and wonderful moment. He could not keep his lips up. The second mistake was he called Jesus rabbi. Well, even Peter had professed that Jesus was Messiah just six days ago, but he still didn't get it. The third mistake he made is he proposed three dwellings as though Moses, the great lawgiver, and Elijah, the great prophet, were equal to Jesus, the redeemer. The fourth mistake, well, on the one hand, he was right to call this experience good, wonderful, but he was wrong to propose to stay up there on the mountaintop because this was not the time for resting, for celebrating, because Jesus still had work to do and a cross to endure. So first, Jesus and the disciples went up on the mountain. Second, Jesus is transfigured. Third, Je Peter interrupts. And then the fourth thing happened. Cloud overshadowed them. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Now listen didn't just mean pay attention, keep your ears open. Take notes. Listen also meant obey, to do as Jesus commanded. And at the end of Mark's transfiguration story, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they come down that mountain, down from that gloriously radiant moment with Moses and Elijah and the voice of God. They come back down, back down to the real world where the authorities are afraid of because what Jesus is saying and doing. In fact, they're so fearful, they will torture and kill him on Good Friday and then be very surprised at the empty tomb on Easter. Well, I've kind of been critical of Peter here, but you know, you and I are a lot like Peter, the, the radiant Jesus on the mountaintop, but clothes brighter than we could imagine, that peaceful, silent Jesus. That's one a lot of folks would prefer. We're a lot like Peter. We don't really want to think about torture and suffering and humiliation and death that Jesus will endure in Jerusalem. But that real Jesus who went to the cross for us, that's the Jesus we are called to follow, the one who will rise. Now, do you kind of wonder... What did the disciples think about all this stuff that went on the mountaintop during the transfiguration? Well, you know, Peter wrote some letters, and in his second letter, he wrote, he wrote about it. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice 
come from heaven when we were with him on the mountain. In our Bibles, the New Testament, of course, if you open up, you say, well, you know, it starts with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But that's not the order in which they were written. Mark was the first Gospel written, and even before Mark wrote that Gospel, the Apostle Paul wrote his letters, especially to Corinth and to Rome. Even so, he may have known that story of the Transfiguration. In fact, not once but twice, Paul uses the same Greek word that Mark used. I didn't take Greek, so I can only guess at it, but it's something like metamorpho. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, All of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as, as though reflected in a mirror, or being transformed you could translate it transfigured into the same image from one degree of glory to another and then to the church in Rome Paul writes do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God well, I have to tell you I do not think that you and I or anybody else can really discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We cannot do it alone. We can only do it with the Holy Spirit who transforms us by renewing our minds. We can only do it by listening and following Jesus Christ. We can do it only with the help of God who made us in his image. The one who goes with us. Thanks be to God. Friends in Christ, the Lord of life and light is with you. The very face of God shines upon you with blessing and peace. So now go forth from this place to tell the good news. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead.